Dice Company will always be free, but it's not free to make. Please consider supporting us on Patreon or Apple Podcasts and get access to our weekly roundtable show, Extra Roll. Just follow any of the links in the show notes for this chapter. Dice Company is a sweary, brutal, violent podcast which deals with adult themes. No feelings were hurt in the making of it, but listener discretion is advised. Welcome on and all to Dice Company, where a group of old friends weave tales of triumph, heroism and despair under the guise of playing Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Tom, and I'll be your DM through the continuing adventures of this collection of skydiving maniacs. Skydiving maniacs, please introduce yourselves and tell the audience one fun fact about your characters. Hello, I am Dave, and I am playing Benny Quez. Benny Quez obviously ended up in Lunadine, where he met Vanda, having scuttled away from Middleton with some Tam Race troubles. But in fact, he didn't go direct. It wasn't really ever his intention. Just for one reason or another, the various stops on his way didn't turn out quite right. His first stop was in a town called Frochester, which is the first main town south of Middleton. And Benny, in his naivety, assumed that outside of Middleton, any kind of influence or power the Tamrace family held would just have dissipated. It's just, you know, you go outside of the town, you're in a whole new place, no one knows you, new power structures entirely. This naivety led to a late night dash out of Frochester and on to his next destination. So he causes trouble wherever he goes. <laughs> I see. Yeah, in summary. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Great stuff. Fantastic as always. Hello, I'm Charlie. I play Vanda Finnick. And my fun fact this week relates unsurprisingly to Vanda. A little tendril of joy has been curling through Vanda's mind as he thinks about the very last bowl of soup he had aboard the Sterling, which was served to him by Nozzle. The truth is, it was disgusting. But that is very interesting because it's been such a long time since Vanda was really able to differentiate from good and bad foods. The fact that he finds this soup disgusting means that something is changing. His taste buds are impossibly improving. And if he can taste bad soup, he may well be able to enjoy good soup all the more. So Vanda's little bowl of joy is half full. And that I see, by the way, as an antidote to the absolute calamitous sadness that we brought upon the world <laughs> in our last packs. <laughs> Amazing. Nice little callback i'm guessing there to the his eyesight is also improving ah. that is correct mm. there must be some sort of incredible doctor on board it's turmeric Vanda <laughs> <laughs> has been getting fresh air and more windows have been opened <laughs> it's amazing how often that comes up but yeah benny has just sneaked into Vanda's quarters and opened the window now Vanda is not dying of his own fumes <laughs> this elaborate story is all a callback to the people who employ us the makers of turmeric <laughs> <laughs> big turmeric oh god <laughs> don't mention them by name <laughs> sorry overlords we won't be as obvious as that in the future sponsored by turmeric <laughs> Bad, my coffee. <laughs> well, it's not Big Book, is it? I mean, fuck Big Book. We're out of clutches of Big Book. They're dead to us. Oh, Big Book. I am Alex and I'm playing Augustus. And I'm also overcorrecting for the sad facts from last week. <laughs> so, Augustus, when he was a child, remembers an incredibly joyful experience of playing with his sister and running down a steep, grassy slope at full pelt trying to chase her and laughing so hard that he could barely breathe 
And that this kind of sticks in his mind is one of the really golden memories of his childhood. And curiously, when he fell from the airship last week and the feather fall was cast to stop his fall, he had exactly that same feeling in his stomach as he did when he pelted down that hill. And that has reminded Augustus that even in his complicated circumstances, he can still feel joy. In fact, even when he was close to plunging to his death, he was still capable of feeling joy. And that has further reminded him of his philosophy teacher during his youth, who told him again and again that it was not the things that happened to him, but the way he chose to see and react to them that would decide how he felt about life and the world. So he can feel sadness and joy, just like poor people. Poor people kind of feel joy. (laughs) His range is enormous. (laughs) There are two emotions that more will be coming. Deep and terrifying (laughs) sexual lust coming up. Oh my God. (laughs) That's going to appear in the form of a fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) Involving a cuddly bumblebee. Heavy editing inbound for the DM. (laughs) And cut. Lovely, excellent. I particularly like the imagery of you and your sister from when you were younger. Hi, I'm Harry and I'm playing Toc. Toc's fact this week is going to be said in character by Plex. He's going to be reporting to Vanda in the hearing of the rest of the party, but not Toc and Tick. Whilst Toc was working on Tick and, and Plex was providing assistance, there were several periods when, when they were sort of had downtime, as it were. Toc said he was waiting for connections to be made. And Toc started working on a separate side project that appeared to involve blood samples and four trapped mosquitoes. I'm not sure how much the rest of the party knows about blood magic, but uh, alongside necromancy, it's often considered one of the less socially acceptable forms of magic. Hashtag talk is a sociopath. (laughs) I knew it! (laughs) An evil laugh as well, my God! Joyous facts, followed by blood magic. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff, everyone. Um, What a time to be alive for now. But enough of all this foreshadowing, let's roll on to the next chapter of Dice Company. Last week's thrilling instalment, Tuck threw himself off the airship Sterling to protect himself, Tick and Lenny from the threat of Vander. A simple apology righted the situation, and you took off straight into the path of some harpies who lured Augustus and Otis off the side of the ship. Once they were dealt with, you stopped for a second time and then identified a good spot to move the villagers of Haven to in order to get them out of the way of the marauding path of the Shadow Vanguard Morven and the full might of the Empire. Arriving to meet the villagers and to explain the situation, Benny was dragged off by Isabella, who upon hearing the news of the threat revealed that she didn't trust a man called Thrain Stoneforge. Using his link to the raven Missy, Benny investigated Thrain's hut, only to discover a bounder's uniform hidden away in a chest. Benny, you open your eyes and see Isabella, who has obviously followed you without your knowledge and is staring at you open-mouthed. Hello. Could be last. (laughs) (laughs) Not what it looks like. (laughs) Just having a power nap. (laughs) What was that? That's a a question, isn't it? Um, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. Um, It's very odd. There's some stuff that I've I've sort of found that I can do. I'm still working it out, but it's quite handy. Are you okay? Your eyes are all white. Um, I'll be right as rain. I just need a minute. And uh, yeah. 
No, I'm fine. Here we are. Right. She looks worried. It's, it's unusual for her. You, you're used to seeing her cheerful and happy. No need to worry. As I say, it all, it all seems pretty useful. Vanda seems to know what's going on, and he's not concerned. So, would he be concerned for my welfare? No, no, yeah, no, it's fine. Everything's all right. Okay, if you say so. Yeah. Good to see Benny's flirting is still absolutely at the level it was before. Amazing character consistency. <laughs> <laughs> totally unaffected by the whole Raven situation. Tok, Vanda and Augustus, you have been observing Alara explaining the predicament to the rest of Haven's villagers. While not the most inspiring speaker, she is calm and reassuring. And finally, the villagers reluctantly accept the truth. She turns to Vanda. I've managed to convince them. If it's okay with you, it's going to take us a few hours to deconstruct everything that we've built. Will the airship be able to hold all of our equipment and supplies? We will have to assess that, Alara, but we will do our utmost to ensure that everything you need is stowed on the ship. We do have a carriage, which of course takes up some room, <laughs> but I'm sure we have enough space for the essentials. Okay, that that sounds good. I know you, you said you wanted to leave within the day. I think we can get this sorted in four or five hours if if everyone mucks in. Will your automatons be able to help? All of us will assist you, Alara, and that is good that you have chosen to act with haste. Well, here we go again. Indeed. And she begins calling out instructions to the villagers of Haven, and everyone begins scattering and starting to pack up all supplies that they can. Vander blows his whistle and summons the automatons who come scuttling off the ship to assist. Excellent. What would you three like to do? Talk would, and Tick will uh, assist with the automatons doing lifting and carrying. Van is also going to assist, though his assistance is uninspiring. More of a foreman than a uh, <laughs> a worker there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Augustus is going to go on the ship to make sure none of these peasants scratch his livery on his carriage. Absolutely <laughs> outrageous. Why do you hate the people of Haven? They've been nothing but lovely to you. Augustus doesn't care about the people of Haven. He doesn't hate them. He just, he nothings them. What a paladin. <laughs> <laughs> Tok will at some point uh, talk to, uh, get a quiet word with Vander and say, uh, the carriage and horses can, could be left behind and picked up at a later date if there is not enough space. May seem strange to you, Tok, but I feel there is a purpose they've yet to play. Something about that carriage and the livery is important, I feel, particularly the heron's crest. If we can, I would like to keep it aboard the ship, though I agree if things come to it, we may indeed have to accept leaving it behind, at least for a short period. I would find that to be acceptable. Yes, I bet you would. Augustus looks across at this conversation, clearly finding it unacceptable, but <laughs> decides not to weigh in just yet because it sounds like his beloved carriage might still make it make the cut. <laughs> it's nice to see the carriages being guarded. It is, after all, very valuable. Thank you, Augustus, for your contribution. <laughs> Augustus still kind of, he's obviously listening, but he doesn't look at you or acknowledge that. And it looks as though he expected nothing less and continues hauling, presumably, a microscopic amount of material aboard the ship. Benny, what would you like to do with the information you have? So I'd like to look about and see if I can spot where Thrain is. You have been able to keep track of him. He's quite a 
large character, very distinctive with his shaved head and like strange tattoo on the side of his face. Uh, and he is currently helping Kato pack up supplies at the makeshift blacksmith's hut. Uh, I would like to look out for Augustus and um, scuttle towards Augustus, but in a, in a low-key sort of way. So Augustus is stood atop the sterling next to his cart, overseeing everything that's happening and not doing a huge amount. As a man of impeccable social instinct, he sees that Benny is in a bit of a skulky mood and says, Benny, would you like to step into my carriage? Is, Augustus is absolutely delighted that the carriage is suddenly obviously useful. <laughs> he opens the door for Benny to get inside for a nice quiet chat. Benny, Isabella says, oh, we got to speak to Augustus. Oh, yeah, about um, yeah, about something else. I don't think you need to worry about old Thrain. I had a look round his, round his hut and then couldn't see anything. I think it's best just to uh, assume he's a good guy. And um, yeah, I'm sure you've got loads to do to pack up. So I just need to have a chat with Augustus about um, plans to get everything sorted out. And then I'll come and grab you in a bit, if that's all right. Give me a deception check, please. 14. Oh, okay, if, if you're sure. And she runs back off to help in the moving of Haven. You step into the carriage where Augustus is waiting. Hello, Augustus. Hi, Benny. Augustus isn't grinning because of anything he knows about the business you're here to conduct. He's just happy to be using the carriage. It's a great meeting room. Ship needed it. Well, this is frankly ridiculous, but never mind. Um, um surprises me to be doing this, but uh, I could do with a bit of a, a bit of help. Of course, Benny says Augustus. The the grin fading slightly because he realizes that Benny's actually serious and this isn't necessarily a time for dicking around. Isabella there was suspicious about one at villagers. Thrain. So I had a little poke about his hut, and I found a bounder's uniform. Ah. Feels like maybe he is uh, is the one who's passing information back and forth. Apparently he wanders off into the forest a fair bit as well. Um, I think we need to find out what's going on. I would have asked Vander, but I'm a little bit worried about what might happen to Thrain if I mention this to Vander. So I thought maybe you'd be the person to come to. I see. I agree that this is not information we should present to Vanda at least until we can discover a little more. Do we know when this Thrain joined the Haven community? I think it was around about the same time we were last in Haven, from what I understand. Cannot then say that he his appearance had anything to do with our appearance, for even, even we didn't anticipate that. But I suppose Haven's community and what we know of Caelan suggests they may have been of interest to the Empire, independent of our arrival. Yeah, that's possible. Very well, Benny. What do you propose we do to at least confirm your suspicions? Well, I suppose we ought to sort of ask him, but maybe in a way that he feels fairly compelled to tell the truth. Very well. Sounds an unpleasant job, but I rather think our direct, potentially, way of compelling him would be less likely to leave him dead by invisible fire than the Vander method. That was where my head was going. Very well. Should we try to get him alone? Yeah, I've got a bit of an idea, actually. The tree line's not far from the village, is it? Could you try and engage him? He's, he's over by the blacksmiths at the moment. If you could get him separated from Kato, I could maybe set it up so there's a bit of an unusual sound coming from the forest. Maybe a baby crying or something like that. You two could go and investigate and we might be able to uh, get him at advantage as he wanders into the dark wood. Perhaps something slightly less alarming than a baby crying we might draw too many of the village to such a thing. What do you suggest? Perhaps an injured animal. Does he, does he say he goes to the forest to hunt? 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we'll do that. Very well, Benny. Uh, what do we know of his role in the village? What could I attempt to talk to him about? He looks like a fighter, so... Understood. Well, the news that he looks like a fighter is certainly reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> what a paladin. <laughs> <laughs> and that just became a thing. All right, Augustus is ready to do it. Yeah, I'm going to sort of scuttle in around the back of the village into the woods. Yep, so you leave the cart, sorry, you leave the stagecoach. Thank you. And head <laughs> to set up your plan. So you guys want to capture and then treat this person in a way that compels them to answer your questions. If it's possible to, for torturers to get FOMO. That <laughs> 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 most definitely has it. <laughs> You are helping the other automatons to move heavy items while Vander oversees and attempts to help himself. Not as in help himself, <laughs> as in help as well. <laughs> I think we all needed that clarification. Tok, can you give me a perception check, please? Tok got a 17. As you are lifting heavy logs and various items to the sterling, your attention is drawn to the wooded area to the south. Vanda, you were alerted to Tok being alerted and staring to the south and looking in the same direction. Tok appears to be staring at a reddish-brown squirrel who is sat on a branch of a tree with an acorn in its paws and it is sitting bolt upright and staring at the two of you. Vanda turns to Tok. Friend of yours? It is not behaving naturally vanda a squirrel with a nut feels rather in keeping with the part they have to play to me talk uh, maybe you could elaborate so um dom am i right that it is not moving at all it is not moving at all what this is one of those moments vanda the squirrel remains motionless animals rarely remain motionless for a significant length of time vanda looks at the squirrel for some time yes no very Interesting. Worthy of investigation, I would imagine. Who knows in what ways the Empire will try to place eyes on our activities. What course of action do you suggest? Well, it is at the end of the day a squirrel, so I'm hoping we can take it. I will move around our quarry and see if I can't get closer. I will communicate with you what I uncover. And with that, Vanda picks up a comically small bag of parsnips with the pretense of taking it on one of his many excursions to the ship, but circles round trying to get a vantage point on the squirrel, but from some cover. With the comically small bag of parsnips in your hand. Talking a single parsnip. <laughs> a bag with one parsnip in your hand. <laughs> you skirt towards the sterling in order to get a better angle on the squirrel. Is that our new... Sorry, is that our new measuring system the new weights and measures is in parsnip one comical parsnip <laughs> as you move the squirrel seems to turn to always be facing you i will continue my path as if unconcerned by this very vigilant squirrel uh, but i will message talk squirrel following me try your own investigation Tok's watching it and the squirrel is not following him. So Tok is imagining it immediately is suspecting magic here. But how do I actually investigate it? So where exactly is the squirrel? It's on the edge of town, he said. 
to the south of where you currently are, to the south of the ship, on the tree line of the foresty area. Now, I suspect out of character that this is, uh, that I know exactly what this is, but Tok obviously does not. Tok will go and work on one of the huts. So he'll take his, his load of stuff back to the airship and he'll go and work on one of the huts that are close by to the squirrel with, with Tick. Whilst he's there, he will take out of his pocket the Obsidian Matrix and he will... Hand it to Rosalind. Yeah, hand it to Rosalind. <laughs> he's dead. No, I mean, she's gone. Oh um, okay, he will arrange the uh, the faces of the uh, the puzzle box such to ask you a question about illusion magic. Sounds like he's mistreating a Rubik's cube, but let's hope it pays off. You hold the small cuboid-like device, which you have forgotten about for weeks on end, but has now suddenly come up. <laughs> Actually, Tok has been asking it questions behind the scenes constantly. Oh, has he? It's just never come up. <laughs> And you ask it a question about illusory magic. And a voice responds to you. Testing? Testing? Can you hear me? Oh, good. I think it's working. Hello? Ah, I've got it working, Tick. I've got it working. Hello there. This is Engram, recording my first message for the Obsidian Matrix. I have the abilities of a great tinker, and thus I am able to provide all of this knowledge to this fantastic device. You can ask me anything, and I will do my best to answer. Uh, Tok is going to pause for just a second. He will then talk quietly to it and say, Engram, I have a question about illusory magic. There is a small animal. Its facing remains constant, whilst our angle changes. Separate viewers view the same image from different angles. It seems to me that that is a simple illusion trick cast by a magic user in order to throw off the scent of their real location. What is the range of such a cantrip? 60 feet or so. Doc is going to put the obsidian matrix back in a pouch and look around within 60 feet of that spot for anybody lurking. First, can you give me a constitution saving throw, please? Oh, damn. Been constantly doing this. He's fine. Another 17. Uh, yep. Give me an investigation check. Vanda, you see Tok playing with what you know to be the Obsidian Matrix, and then he begins looking around the huts in the area that he's in. Okay, he rolled a 12 for investigation. You find no one capable of performing this magic, hiding away or performing it anywhere in the town of Even. In which case, I think Tok's going to go and investigate in the woods. He's going to try and do it sneakily. Stealth check, please. <laughs> All right, let's see how this goes. Cool. Uh, okay, that is a seven. Vanda, having been keeping a close eye on Tok, you see him and Tick suddenly clanking very loudly <laughs> south into the forest. A lot of people nearby begin to look <laughs> at what he's doing and watch his movement as he heads into it. So he's gonna he's gonna walk around basically not directly at the squirrel but like in a uh, sort of a hundred feet away and do a big circle around in the woods in the form of a lorry doing a U-turn. This automaton is investigating. Vanda victoriously places his single parsnip on a massive pile of parsnips, demonstrating the work that others have put in. Job completed. Vanda realizes that the extreme noise Tok is creating affords him the chance at stealth. So Vanda takes the initiative. And my aim is to take a different angle into the forest, but try and keep a line of sight on Tok. Give me a stealth check at advantage. 15 
My natural stealth is one, so 16. You are able to move very quietly and effectively with no one noticing you into the forest. Like the serpent he is, Vander slips into the undergrowth. Benny, you have successfully made your way into the forest area to the north, accompanied by Lenny the dog and Missy the raven. They take heed of your quiet movement and get into a kind of hunting pack mentality alongside you, trying to be as quiet as possible. Augustus. You glance at Dr. Doolittle leading his little zoo into the forest. <laughs> I was thinking exactly the same thing. <laughs> you have approached the blacksmith's hut where Thrain and Cato are currently working with a third person. You don't, you recognise him, but you don't, you don't know his name. You've never conversed with him. Uh, gentlemen, which one of you is Thrain? That would be me. Ah, Thrain. I am Augustus Zeno. I've been told that you're a, a strong man and possibly a good fighter. We're trying to recruit some fighters in case we need to defend ourselves should the Empire catch us before we're able to escape. I know my way around the blade. Interesting. Can I offer you a smoke? I'll never say no to a smoke. Wonderful. I'd like to uh, get your thoughts on the defence, a rearguard action we might mount as we attempt to make our escape from the Empire. And Augustus starts to walk, sort of, you know, getting the cigarette out and, and walking sort of slowly away, like walking off, but just, you know, as if he's just like strolling and lighting a cigarette, but just subtly trying to put distance between himself and the other two. Do a charisma. I'll do a charisma. <laughs> Give me a persuasion check. So that's six, so 20. Dirty 20, very nice. Taking your social lead, maybe not even noticing that he's doing it, he lights up a cigarette and falls into step with you. So, Thrain, I, I wonder, should the Empire come? They may come through these trees, and I gesture in the direction I want him to go. Duh. Should they come that way? Are there any defensive positions in there? Traps we might set? Places we might hide? He takes a long drag. It does make sense that they would come from the north. I think your thinking is correct on the matter. We head in this direction, and he begins to walk and point to a spot where you know Benny is waiting. Benny, you can hear the voices as they head in your direction. Okay, well, obviously Augustus kind of goes along with that and continues sort of chit-chatting about this. Obviously very happy, slightly scared that his trap he's now trying to lead someone into a trap and slightly feels like the other guy is leading him to the same place because it's now it's his trap. <laughs> But, <laughs> yeah, fine, let's go and fight in the woods. I'm a giant warrior. As you're heading in that direction, Benny, you're surprised to hear Lenny let out a whine as if he's injured. Thrain hears the whine. <gasps> Shh! There is an injured animal somewhere in this forest. And he pulls out a knife from his back. Be quiet. We may be able to get some food and he begins to slowly move towards your position. I glance down at Lenny to see if I can work out what the reason that he's whining is. Give me a perception check. Eleven. There doesn't appear to be any obvious reason why he would be whining, and actually he isn't moving or writhing in any way that suggests he's actually in pain. Then he's just the best actor in the group. <laughs> I think about clicking my fingers to send him into the bag of holding, but I'm, I'm worried Thane will hear that, so I just wait and I uh, draw my dagger and tuck myself in behind a tree. Give me a stealth check, please. Fourteen. Yep. You're able to tuck yourself in as Thrain moves closer and closer to Lenny. Uh, and Augustus draws his rapier and kind of falls in behind Thane, 
obviously with the intention to appear like he's backing him up, but obviously also to have the advantageous position of standing behind his enemy with a sword in his hand. I'm not, I'm not a battlefield genius, but this feels like a pr- pretty useful way to do things. As he begins to pull back the undergrowth, his eyes fall upon Lenny. Oh, it is a dog. Do you recognize this dog? Yes, I believe it belongs to one of my shipmates. Never mind. It's not a not a useful animal for us to catch. Does not appear to be injured, and he flips the knife back into a holster on his back. Augustus, as you look at Lenny, he appears to give you a wink. I mean, Augustus, being a man of breeding, returns the wink, and then levels his rapier and points it directly at the centre of Thrain's chest. As you do that, I snap my fingers and appear with my knife at Thrain's throat. Uh, so Augustus's jovial conversational manner has dropped away and now he looks dead in Thrain's eyes and says, Now, my good fellow, we have some questions for you. If you would like to keep your blood in your body, we suggest you answer them directly. Yeah. It is not so long ago I would not have fallen for such a simplistic ruse. It's like, you guys need a professional. <laughs> <laughs> He's too busy chasing a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> and Bandit dropped back out of the plotline. <laughs> He's having a woodland dance-off with a weird squirrel. <laughs> and two giant robots. <laughs> Sounds badass. I say, um, let's start by tying him to a tree so uh, you don't get any ideas. And I use my hempen rope to lash him to a, a nearby tree to make sure that he is held fast. Nice. Uh, he, he doesn't resist in any way. He knows exactly what you're doing and he stands by the tree and allows himself to be tied with no fuss whatsoever. Danger, Will Robinson. Peanut gallery, be quiet. <laughs> so you, you don't seem to be very surprised by this turn of events, Thrain. This sort of thing happens to people like me quite a lot. What do you mean by people like you? Have you been investigating my hut by any chance? had a little poke around. There. You found my old uniform? Old, is it? Well, I'm certainly not a bounder now. And he kind of tries to gesture towards the tan singlet that he's wearing. <clears throat> you can see why we might suspect that you still are, though. Can't you? Duh. It does make sense. So, tell us your story and make it convincing. Well, I can tell you the truth. It is up to you whether you believe it or not. Caelan and Lorian knew that I was a bounder, by the way. I was only a bounder for a short while, but they suggested keeping the uniform with me. Haven, it seems, is a trusting and welcoming place, and Caelan took me in. But he believed there to be a spy within the camp, and he asked me to use my training to find out who it was. It is a job I have taken seriously, even more so since the attack. I would like to see if I can get any kind of insight on whether I believe... Joe, give me an insight check. Uh, Can I do the same? Yeah. What is your insight? That bounders do not necessarily no, I mean, make good spies. I mean, what number? <laughs> I did realise what you were asking me, by the way. Okay. 17. Uh, 8. Augustus, you're, you have no idea whether to believe the story or not. You're getting absolutely nothing from this tied-up man. Betty, you believe him. Yeah, I press between my eyes with my thumb. I'm troubled by the fact that I believe him. What, um, what did your investigations uncover, then, Thrain? Check on the inside of my singlet. And he kind of puffs his chest out to allow you to get your hand in there. Obviously, Augustus kind of positions himself with the sword out again to make sure this isn't a trick. I, I reach in. And you find a small journal in there. When you pull it out and open it up, there is a list of names written on it. Next to each name, there are comments, and some of the names have been crossed out. 
That is my list of suspects. That is every person in Haven and whether I believe them to be spy or not. At the moment, I have a small selection of prime suspects. He kind of gestures at it. You look down, you can see the names Cato, Pip and Magnus. A deep sigh. This is a lot more complicated than I was hoping it's going to be. What do you reckon, Augustus? I must say we've got ourselves into quite a situation here. Thrain, I don't mind telling you that I'm inclined to believe what you say. And now my first priority is how to release you in a way that doesn't inspire you to pick up the knife you have and try to stab us with it. I have no interest in killing the people who saved Haven the first time and are trying to save it a second time. Mistakes are common. It is fine. And I think you can see why we might have been suspicious. Of course. I think maybe we need to um, gather the crew and talk this out. And I think at this point I kind of nod to Benny to kind of indicate uh, my view that we could let him go. You cut him free of the tree. And obviously we just before you say that, I obviously keep a sort of defensive posture here. Uh, he straightens his back and stretches slightly now that he's free. I um, tentatively offer my hand for him to shake by sort of way of apology. He looks at it for a moment and then firmly shakes your hand and gives you a nod. Probably best we don't mention this until we need to, eh? I will mention it to no one. And Augustus proffers another cigarette. He takes it. Vander and Tok, you make your way south into the forest, separate from one another. Can I have investigation checks from both of you, please? Tok gets a 20. I get a 7. Presumably did this whilst one of my famous blinks was taking place. And Vander, you rummage around in the forest for a while, making sure to try and keep a rough idea of where Tok and Tick would be in relation to you. We aren't able to find anything of note. Tok, as you plunge deeper into the forest, you notice another squirrel holding an acorn. The squirrel appears to be pointing the acorn in the direction of the village. It has reddish-brown fur, which you recognise as the squirrel from your past who taught you a lot about magic. And fairly certain that it's the same squirrel. You are as certain as you can be. It is a squirrel, after all. I always knew that one day that squirrel from your past would come back. <laughs> yeah. Dum-dum-dum. <laughs> wasn't included in your top ten, was it? Now it's back, the terrible squirrel-based vengeance. Well, squirrels are in his top ten above people, so... Oh god, are they? Yeah. <laughs> Number three. Yeah. Tok's entire demeanor will change uh, for instead of sort of stomping through the woods searching for a uh, for a foe. Um, he'll pause slightly, then slowly walk towards the squirrel and sit down cross-legged a respectful distance from it. And the squirrel turns its head, its beady black eyes stare in your direction, and it begins to move towards you, holding the acorn in one paw and using its other three paws to move quickly. It doesn't appear to be threatening. It then leaps onto Tick's shoulder and begins to place its free paw against his face. I don't know anyone else, but I'm, ex- I'm really hoping Domi does a uh, squirrel voice here. And the squirrel says, Is that you, Tick? You made it? I can't believe you made it. After a slightly uncomfortably long silence, Tok will reply by saying, Tick is unable to communicate. He sustained damage. I am seeking repairs. They have not been entirely successful. Doc, it's you. You made it too. Indeed. What happened to him? We were attacked. 
a founder with a red blade. Take fort. Sacrifice to save me. I have attempted repairs. The bounders pursue. The squirrel's head drops as its paw remains on Tick's face. Is hope lost? Tuck, did Tick give you a device? Uh, Tuck will take out of his pouch the obsidian matrix and uh, say, Is this the device that you refer to? I'll handle him be blessed. It has not fallen into the enemy's hands. Indeed, I am not aware if they know of its existence. Oh, the Empire know of its existence. The Emperor has been searching for it for years. He raised Roanoke just to get his hands on it. That is the Obsidian Matrix. The repository of all knowledge in Alestia. It has been in existence for millennia, changing hands between a number of creatures who've all filled it with esoteric knowledge. It last belonged to the Rojan Council, and now, it seems, belongs to you. Talk's gonna remain silent for a little bit, taking that in. Under no circumstances can this fall into the hands of the Emperor. He would burn the world and everyone in it to lay claim to it. I will endeavor to keep it safe. Uh, Talk will place it back in a pouch. Vanda, you have heard Talk's voice through the forest talking conversationally, and you head in that direction only to find Tok sat cross-legged with a squirrel on Tick's shoulder with its paw on his face. And they appear to be having a conversation, although you can't understand what the squirrel is saying. Banda hobbles into the opening of the forest. Ah, Tok conversing with a squirrel. May wonders never cease. Tok, may you explain what this little gathering is about? Tok will, will turn and then talk to the squirrel first and say this is Vander. he is a companion a friend he is no threat uh will turn around to Vander and say i have met one of tick's friends this squirrel designation is an acorn caught in the turbulent flow of a stream full with springtime rainwater it turns his head slightly and says the translation is not perfect yes that is a Curious translation, says Vanda, trying to take in the scene. Am I to assume that you can converse with our friend the squirrel? His one eye showing a level of incredulity. Indeed, Vanda. The squirrel is wise. I have learnt much. Indeed. And what brings our squirrel friend to us today? Tok will turn back to Acorn Court to the turbulent throw of a stream full of springtime rainwater and say, um... You are a long way from the edge of the plain of Asmodeus, where we last met. What was your purpose in traveling to this location? The squirrel has turned to face Vanda upon his arrival and has not stopped staring at him the whole time. I'm afraid I don't speak, squirrel, says Vanda. Its head tilts to one side and it suddenly leaps to the floor. It's bushy tail pointing directly up in a slightly defensive posture. It says to Tuck, What are you doing with him, Tuck? This one saved me from the founders. He has protected me on many occasions. He is a friend. He previously was Rojan. The squirrel begins to speak common at this point. He's no Rojan. This is the secret Tyro of the Dawnrider. The blade itself, he's also the man who revealed the secrets of the Rojan to the Emperor. 
kept secrets which led directly to the attack on the Citadel. Vander's demeanor changes in an instant. He views the squirrel now with a completely different regard. Tog, the squirrel is not entirely inaccurate, though I would regard his retelling of events as misleading. You are not Roshan, Vander. In the way the squirrel tells it, and I struggle to believe I'm in a conversation with such a creature, he is in one way correct. I was a Tyro, which is to say, a Rogen in training. He is also, in a sense, accurate in his accusations, though he is, of course, referring to my incarceration. Uh, Tok will turn to uh, to the squirrel and say, uh, Vanda has been tortured by the Empire. He has referred to this torture on many occasions. It has left him weak and injured. And not dead, I notice. And at this point, the squirrel begins to glow and quickly transforms into a slender and statuesque female wood elf with long black hair in ringlets. She's holding a long staff with a large acorn at the top. Vanda, you immediately recognize her as Nocturna, one of the council of the Rojan. My God, says Vanda in genuine shock. You, you're alive. Where have you been? I would not trust you with any knowledge about how I'm alive or where I've been. Landolin's mercy is as confusing and chaotic as always. How can a creature like you survive when others, my friends, have fallen? Despite that, here before me stands the traitor Cyril Hymore. And she waves the staff in your direction. Oh my god. And you fall to the ground in the forest. Tok, you can hear gentle snoring coming from Vanda. Tok's going to get up to his feet. Nocturna, Vanda is not a threat. He has been fighting the Founders and the Shadow Vanguard for a long time. I haven't heard him talk, but it's time to discover exactly what he knows. And she begins to gather up pieces of flora and fauna from around the forest and lays them in a circle. Just a simple ritual, and we'll get the truth out of him. Harming Vanda would cause me much distress, Nocturra. It's Seraphina now, and I have no intention of hurting him. Many creatures have multiple designations. I find this very confusing. Singular definitions would be helpful. You can call me Squirrel. So, Benny on Augustus, being led back by Thrain, you get back to Haven, and there are no signs of Tok, Tick, or Vanda anywhere. I would immediately start asking around about that. They vanished without a trace, just too stealthy for anybody to notice where they went. Use your tracker skills. <laughs> yeah. Has anyone seen massive suits of armor? Yeah. Kato. Yeah. Tok and his mate, they went into the forest. I don't know where Vanda's gone. Augustus will take that. We'll kind of assume that find Tok and Tick. If there's three people missing and you know where you can, you've got an arrow towards two of them, go find the two and hope that that means you find the third or they might tell us. I will head after Augustus. When I get to a spot when there's not too many people around, I will click my fingers to bring Lenny back and pause to have a look and see what's going on with him. So you click your fingers and Lenny appears with a 
He barks as he normally does and jumps up and down, excited to see you. This is weird. It was being weird, wasn't he, Augustus? Yes, I can't understand. I, I I suppose that the whimpering was the signal that we had arranged, but I presume you did not somehow cause Lenny to make that sound. I didn't. I wonder if Fanda would know. Let's, um, let's ask him when we see him. Yes. Can I have perception checks from the two of you, please? Can. Uh, 16 for me. 19 for me. Very nice. Um, as you're talking and looking at Lenny and kind of keeping your eyes open for Toktik and Vanda, uh, you notice a figure boarding the Sterling, heading up the ramp. They have a hood over their head. That's not right. Uh, yeah, Augustus is going to make quick progress towards Zen because I was, I was half thinking of pausing before we went looking for Tick and Tock to tell Vanda's automatons to keep an eye on the airship. So having already had that anxiety in my mind, I'm going to bowl back because that looks like someone who's going to scratch the livery on my carriage. <laughs> I, I sort of <laughs> scamper after Augustus and say, Augustus, maybe let's not go in all guns blazing. Are there guns? Who knows? Let's not go in. Flint locks blazing. Let's not go crashing in. I don't think they spotted us. Very well, Benny. Do you wish to take the lead? Yeah, why not? Benny, could you perhhaps use your bird to investigate on our behalf? Let's get a bit closer. Uh, maybe duck, sort of duck under the sort of shadow of the airship, because I could do with a, a little spot to be tucked away. Very well. Well, you do that. I'll stand guard, and if anyone asks, I'll pretend we're examining the boaty of the whole situation i go and sort of sit sort of under the bow a little bit so sort of tucked into into shadow so i'm not very noticeable in order to uninhabit benny and inhabit the raven which you do so augustus you notice that benny's eyes turn sheet white as he kneels in the shadow of the sterling benny you have inhabited missy and are swooping over the top of the sterling i would like to see if i can see where this figure has gone who they are and what they're up to. So the figure begins to head below deck. Give me a perception check. It's 14. Based on the build alone, I think it would have to be one of the three who are stood together, which are Cato, Magnus, and Thrain. It seems unlikely that it's Cato, seeing as you've just spoke to him. I will swoop back to Benny and uh, wake him up. And as I kind of come out of my sort of trance-like state, slightly groggy for a moment, I then sort of pick myself up and say, someone's gone below decks. It's either Magnus or Thrain. I reckon we've got to go and check it out. Yes, agreed. We still may gain an advantage by approaching them unnoticed. So let's go quietly with your good stealthy ways. Agreed. So I stealth my way on board and start heading below deck. Give me a stealth check, please. 17. You begin to inhabit the stealthiest persona you have within your arsenal, which is fortunate because Isabella was heading in your general direction, but you managed to get onto the Sterling before she arrives. You head in and head below deck, following in the rough direction that you know that the figure went. And Augustus is, but without being so close to any kind of noise and stuff I make, would necessarily draw attention to Benny. You both are now aboard the Sterling. Augustus, you're keeping as much of a respectful distance as you can. Benny, as you head further in, keeping your eyes peeled for any movement of the figure, it isn't until you get towards the bottom deck of the ship that you can hear rummaging coming from Tok's workshop. I look back to see if I can see Augustus. Hopefully you can. Pass uh, Otis and Nozzle as you head down. And I call them to, I, I quietly tell them to come with me. Yes, Augustus. I decide that if I can hear rummaging, the best thing to do would be to try and catch this person in the act. So I draw my bow and crash through the door quickly. 
you burst into Tok's workshop and the hooded figure spins around and the hood falls back. And you recognize the man you know to be Magnus. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, this looks very suspicious. Extremely suspicious. I completely understand that. Augustus! And the mass pipes and drums march down the corridor. <laughs> Augustus, <laughs> flanked by Otis and Nozzle, appear into Tox workshop. Oh, there's, 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 there's no need for, for any violence. No, you can explain it to both of us. He takes a deep breath. So, I have always been fascinated by automatons. I understood that there were many automatons on this ship, so I thought I would try and get a quick little spy at the way that automatons work. And I found myself coming down, and this is obviously a workshop, presumably from an automaton, based on the lack of furniture that there is. That's that's all that this is. So you're telling us that we've come along, let you know that Haven is under imminent attack from the Empire. You need to pack up everything you've got and hurry off. And you've decided, take time out from that activity, to wander onto our ship, head directly to the workshop, find it without looking in any of the other rooms, and just have a little poke around. And Augustus goes... Yeah, and waves his sword a bit. Yes. I would I would like to uh, have an insight check to see what I think of this. You can both roll insight checks. Oh. Oh, five. That would be 21 for Augustus. The tables have turned. Uh, Benny, you're as, as mad as it sounds. This guy might just be telling the truth. Uh, Augustus, this guy is 100% lying. <laughs> you are lying. Otis, Nozzle, bring this man to the poop deck. Hang on, Augustus. Oh, hello. We made we made one mistake already today. Are you sure? I mean, it was such a rubbish reason. Could you make up something that bad? Well, let me try some gentle questioning. Uh, Magnus, is it? That's right. Magnus, you just lied to me. And among our party is a very experienced and rather unhinged torturer. So I'm going to give you one more opportunity to tell us the truth. And I will not sub- submit you to him for questioning. And does that sound like a favourable deal? You mean intimidation check? Yeah, I was going to say that was that was in the tone of, of a persuasion yeah. check, but it was definitely <laughs> an intimidation check. <laughs> That's how I conduct myself at the post office. <laughs> uh, so I've not done well here. Uh, Ten. <laughs> I mean, I am going to give him to that. I'm going to hand him over to the torturer, so he needs to be a bit intimidated by just the, the literal actions I'm going to take. He laughs at, at your comments. <laughs> Oh, I i never was very good at lying. Oh, dear. Um, there's no need for you to get Van der Finnick. He won't be able to do much for me. What can I say? You've caught me red-handed. Red-handed doing what? Oh, I was sent here to blow up your ship. Sent? By who? Oh, Morven. You see, Morven had information relating to a Tyro from the fourth chapter. I think you know Caelan Lux. I was ordered to infiltrate the group of nomads he led and talk to Wait. For Morvin knows one thing, where there is one Roshan, there'll inevitably be more. When Astrid faced you in Lunadine, she recognized your Tyro. She informed the Emperor and took her punishment for failure. The Emperor ordered Morvin to pursue you, and I was finally, thankfully activated. I passed over all the information I observed from you and summoned Morvin to Haven. Then something I did not expect happened. You escaped again. I was once again told to wait. Morvan was punished for his failure, and false stories about Caelan were placed in newspapers to lure you out to save your friend. But then, chance, coincidence, were discovered by Tiara aboard the steam runner. 
The Emperor used the information to give Morvan a chance at redemption. Of all the misinformation lead, Tiara was told to mention Haven and Morvan in any and all high-level meetings she had. The Emperor has studied you all for months now. The secret Tyro of the Dawnrider, the first child of Denothlia, and Engram's automaton. Who's the first child of Denothlia? Is that you? Irrelevant details, my dear Benny. The Emperor don't think so. Happily, he's not in charge here. I admire your candour, but you must realise you have put us in a difficult position in terms of how to dispose of you. Might I ask, would you consider yourself a pro-Emperor fanatic or a hired gun? That's a very good question. I can see that you're struggling with your own... I don't know what the word is. What do you humans call that word? It's a conscience, pal. Conscience, that's it. Thank you. You humans? Oh, of course. Yeah, the jig is up. I should... Uh, Give me a second. And he shakes, and his body completely changes form and stood before you as a small goblin. Oh, that's better. I don't know how you people put up with it. It's so massive most of the time. Right. Talk with the setup complete... Serafina mutters an incantation in a language you don't understand. Her eyes turn bright blue as a gust of wind circles around you all, and Vanda's body shudders. She steps into the circle and places a hand on his chest. After a moment, she's jolted back, tears streaming down her face. I understand. All is not lost. She claps her hands and the wind stops dead. Vanda, you wake up. Vanda, do you remain unharmed? I painfully climb to one elbow and look around myself, regaining my surroundings. I'm alive. Unexpected. As I clamber painfully to my feet. What happened? I needed to understand. You didn't betray us. I don't think there's anything you could have done. You penetrated my mind. No, I penetrated your emotions. Could have brought you dinner first. In that gallery. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh. That is not. How have you come to be here? I thought until recently, I was one of the last. You have questions, but know that I still don't trust you, Cyril. Please, I shed that name long ago. Cyril is dead. Understood. You have to give me some time. I'm trying to comprehend everything that I learned. This is unexpected. Just accept that I'm the last Rojan. That's the simplest and safest answer. You are indeed the last. But what hope is it you see? I have traveled the world. And while I do see joy and the possibility of adventure, hope still eludes me. How can you say that? You travel with Ingram's automaton. What more hope do you need? Query, which automaton is Engram's automaton? Tick, your creator. He and Engram were partners. Tick was a partner to Engram? Tick was there from the very start. The formation of the council, the creation of the citadel, and the fall. So Tick saw the fall itself. This is difficult to take in. Tock, your creator has seen things that that changed the world. 
Why are you so shit? No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Serafina steps towards Tick and runs her hand along his face. And you hear a little click and his faceplate opens. And she just very, very gently and very carefully stares inside. I have attempted repairs. I can see no damage or misaligned parts. Yet still, the repairs are not fully effective. You've done an amazing job, Tuck. I'm really impressed with your work. She closes the faceplate, sighs, keeps her hand on Tick's face and looks down at the floor. Vanda, you recognize this as she has looked into Tick's head and has realized that he's probably beyond actual repair, but she obviously hasn't said anything. I am furthering my investigations. I have procured two subject automata. They may be investigated so that I may perform further repairs. If anyone can do it, you can do it, Tuck. Can I see... The Obsidian Matrix. Indeed. Uh, so Tok will reach into his pocket and sort of hold it out for her. She takes it and grabs your wrist and holds the Matrix to the inner part of your wrist. And you see her hands move really quickly and the Matrix suddenly begins to twist and turn. And it begins to wrap itself around your wrist. And you see the it break down into small strange parts. And those parts all begin to kind of integrate with your arm until all that is left is a single circular golden coin-shaped area on the top of your wrist. Keep it safe. Weary, what is it you have performed? May I still use the Matrix? I'm not mistaken, Tok. You now are the Matrix. I find this to be acceptable. and Augustus, you're still interrogating Magnus, who has revealed himself to be a goblin in disguise. Augustus, you asked if he was on the side of the Empire or a hired gun. And in terms of your question, well, I guess we'd have to go back to the beginning. You see, I spent my early life on the outskirts of the plains of Asmodeus, and I witnessed a battle between Emperor Salazar and Steel, who was a member of the Rojan Council. I didn't know who either of them were but it was a whirling battle, the sort of power I've never witnessed. When it was over, Salazar stood victorious, and I had to learn more. So I approached. He was impressed with my nerve. He could have slayed me in seconds, but instead I knelt before him, and he welcomed me into his army. He named me Magnus in honour of the dead Rojan at his feet, for that was his birth name. I was assigned to the rule of Emperor's champion, the Hand of Fury, Morven, and he led me to Haven. The Emperor hoped that your ability to gather information meant that you'd eventually hear the rumours about the impending assault on Haven and rush to help. If not, he was willing to eradicate Slateholm to find you and to find the thing he requires most of all. He's after a device. I don't know what it is, He's only trusted that information to Morven. And I serve Morven, as I always have, loyally. So it's a trap. Augustus is going to step forward and attempt to stab this guy with a rapier. Roll the attack. This is going to be an embarrassing moment for everyone. Uh, so ten. You step forward while he's mid-monologue 
and attempt to stab him with your rapier. He simply sidesteps the attack. Oh, no, no. I grab Augustus and pull him back and say, what are you, what are you doing, Augustus? Yeah, Augustus, what are you doing? So you, and you can shut up as well and start talking. What's really happened to Kaylin? <laughs> you can shut up and start talking. Yeah, he's angry and making no sense. Oh, Kaylin, he's been locked away up in the north. He won't last long. And what are we doing in Haven then? You've brought us to Haven for a reason. What is it? Oh, that's right. Sorry, I was getting there before your friend got all stabby. I was told to alert Morvan the second you arrived so that he could mobilise and launch a full-scale assault on this settlement and finally capture you to bring you before the Emperor. In the event that I was captured, I was told to keep you talking in order to give him enough time to get here before you fled again. An order, I'm happy to say, I have followed to the letter. Can Augustus try to stab him again? Yeah, it's fine now. <laughs> here we go. My God. Oh, my God. <laughs> A natural one. Augustus stabs himself in the foot. Uh, so that would be a natural one for six. You wildly swing in anger at the goblin who once again ducks out of the way and then he begins to make a move to try and escape. Can I have dexterity saving throws from both of you guys, please? 23, thank you. Another natural one for my third minus one of the campaign and oh my god, what is happening to me? <laughs> the dice gods are against you. Augustus, Augustus just draws a bit. <laughs> Augustus, you attempt to reach out and grab the goblin and he just goes straight through your legs. And as he goes through, he yells, Nuts! Oh, <laughs> fuck you, goblin. <laughs> Fortunately, Benny is far quicker to react and pins the goblin to the floor. The goblin is now just laughing hysterically in Benny's face. Seeing as it's such close, close quarters, I'm going to attempt to punch him in the face before tying him up. Quite angry now. Yes, please. An unarmed attack, please. Uh, 22. Nice. Um, you punch him hard in the face and he is knocked out cold. Augustus is still tempted to follow that up with a kick to the nuts. He's not going to do it then. Not going to do it because I'll miss and kick myself in the nuts. I shake my fist out because it really hurt, but it was quite satisfying. And then tie him up nice and safe and tight. I quickly order one of the automatons to stand guard and then kind of get Augustus to come and lock the cabin behind us. Well, can I just do a quick check to make sure, because he talked about blowing the ship up, can I check that he hasn't done anything to make that a reality? Give me an investigation check, please. Good idea. The comically sized keg marked boom. Oh my God. Natural one again. <laughs> That's my third consecutive natural one. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Having kind of shaken off your disappointment of not being able to hit him twice or catch him once, Augustus kind of shakes his shoulders, stretches a bit, and then begins a thorough investigation of Tok's workshop. Obviously, it's full of lots of weird devices that you don't really understand, but there doesn't appear to be anything that is very obviously a bomb. Knowing my lack of knowledge of bombs, I ask the automatons to use their greater knowledge than mine to see if there's anything in Tox Workshop that might be an explosive or in any way harm the ship. They begin their investigation and very quickly find in the centre of the room a small sack which appears to be filled with a black powder. Augustus, this appears to be an explosive and is out of place. 
Ah, right, I thought that was coffee. What is coffee? Never mind. You'll finally go to the Madam What's Her Face's place? Damn it. How do I get to Madam What's Her Face's place? <laughs> <laughs> Augustus is becoming frustrated. Uh, Otis, that is an explosive. Please remove it from the ship and put it a safe distance away. I think we need to get everyone into the trees. To the trees! No? Cover, hide in, you know, more than on his way right now. I think we need to get out of here fast. Okay, you want to unload the carriage? I do not want to unload the carriage. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Nozzle? Yes, Benny. Take this goblin, store him in one of cabins, lock him in, stand guard, make sure he don't get out, okay? Yes, Benny. Right. Let's go. Sound the alarm. Go! Let's go! And you guys begin to sprint off the Sterling. Vander and Tok. The conversation between Serafina continues as her general mood towards Vander appears to have softened. So my question to you is, what are you doing here? We are rescuing the villagers of New Haven from the Bounders and the Shadow Vanguard, Morven. Matters are worse. I cannot be seen by the villagers of Haven. Or anyone. Do you know what happened to Caelan? He stayed behind during the attack on Old Haven. His whereabouts are unknown. The Empire has claimed he is imprisoned. He allowed us to escape. He always was the hero. Vander turns to look at Tok, and a smile spreads across his face. He then turns back to Serafina. Serafina, I may not have been entirely honest in my previous words. I do not see there as being old hopes, it's true, but I do see a way forward. The Rojans were a powerful people, but they were also few. Their belief was that an exceptional few may be the answers to the problems of the many, and that thinking proved to be so very flawed. As you know, many of us are dead, others are scattered. What I have discovered is the many virtues of chaos. Put more delicately, I mean collective action. You might wonder what I mean by this. Allow me to show you. And with that, Vanda produces one of the many parchments he's had stowed in one of his many pockets and hands it to Serafina. What is this? It's a new beginning. She takes a moment to read the parchment and a half smile forms on her face, which is quickly extinguished. I think we'll just have to disagree on a few things. I understand that even having conducted your investigations, and Vanda is slightly miffed in saying that, you may not still entirely trust your old comrade Vander. I do though understand that the Rogans have a part to play, but also that my path now lies with the Order of the Heron. As you're probably aware, our situation currently is rather precarious. I don't imagine we have much time to speak, though I would very much like to see you again so that we may talk further. I will do everything in my power to keep both eyes on you, wherever you may go. Vanda seems to have very little trouble in believing that will be the case. Of course, of course, he simpers. I don't suppose I could 
strain our new friendship ever so slightly with a little favor. I am more than aware of your many talents, and I was wondering if maybe you would consider assisting us if we come into troubles as we try and help the good people of Haven. Seraphina considers what you've asked as a strange beetle with the wings of a butterfly appears out of the gloom of night and lands quickly on Seraphina's shoulder. She leans her head towards it and her eyes grow wide. We need to get to Haven. Now. And she spins with a wave of her staff. A nearby oak tree splits open and the bark begins to peel back as golden light bathes the area. She steps into the light and disappears. Uh, Tok and Tick will follow. As will Vanda. You feel this incredible warming sensation over your bodies as the golden light bathes you all around. You find yourself stepping out of a tree and you're back on the outskirts of Haven. You look up at the Sterling to see Benny, Augustus, Plex and Otis rushing onto the deck. In the distance, moving with imposing certainty, straight through the dark night sky beneath a full moon is a heavily modified airship. It has no sails, instead two massive metal engines on either side as it cruises straight toward the village. Cutting through the darkness of night is a modified, booming voice you recognize as that of Morvan's. Traitors of Haven, your time is at an end. And we will end it there. Oh, you'd hate that. With a rhyme. What did okay. you say? What does this mean? Where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you so clean? <laughs> <De-bibbidi-boo>. <laughs> yeah, I, I really thought it was going to go for the lighthearted thing. I was not expecting. <laughs> oh, law. Yeah. Disappointed that the squirrel didn't sound more like Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks, though. That's my note. <laughs> there was a slight southern drawl there for a second. There might be a slight southern drawl. And I may add the um, Alvin and the Chipmunks style voicing in post. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a certain nuttiness to the whole situation. I think that was fun. Oh, awful. Thanks for listening. Please consider supporting Dice Company on Patreon or on Apple Podcasts, where for the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to a whole other show, Extra Rules, where the gang look back over previous chapters of the Dice Company story. Don't forget, you can find us on our socials at Dice Company on Blue Sky, at Dice Company Pod on X, and at Dice Company Podcast everywhere else. If you enjoyed this chapter, please like and subscribe, and don't forget to recommend us to your friends. If you didn't like it, recommend us to your enemies. And we'll see you next time on Dice Company. Dungeon Dads is a podcast of four dads. John, Tim, Sam, and me, Tom, playing an epic game of D&D. But it's really a story of three mismatched heroes. Jonas Silverwind, a highborn wizard. I am going to cast Mage Ama. Abel Rockbrother, a wayward cleric. Tempest. Will you please, in your infinite wisdom, help me to kill these men? And Phil Near Omajira, a warlock who's made a pact with a higher power. I owe it my life. 
Guess you had to be there. Come for the epic adventure. This army of barbarians in fur and leather, they're rushing the war wagon. Stay for the dad jokes. So, uh, <laughs> here's the whole fellas. So, quoth the queen? And 80s references. People are people, so why should it be that you two should get along so awfully? Find us at DungeonDads.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, not bad. Uh, can we do one more take where you pretend like you actually like the show? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>